the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Welcome to Links and Locks, Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello of Action Network, and I'll be joined every Wednesday here by my co-host, Spencer Aguiar and Nick Bretwish. Today, we'll be previewing the course at Sanderson Farms Championship and covering head-to-head markets and placement wagers. We'll also give out our favorite outrights, and we'll have a quick look ahead to next week's Shriners Children's Open. So without further ado, let's get into it. Guys, it was a fun President's Cup, and we had some success with our Jordan Spieth bets. Yeah, Nick, I'll let you start with that. I know you were that was like your play that you got all of us on. It was more so riding uh, Justin Thomas and the Pro B1X narrative that worked out and their boys. Obviously, we all thought they'd be paired together and they were and they just dominated. So the top U.S. captain's pick point scorer in Jordan Spieth, I believe the best price in the market last week we talked about was plus 330. Just hitting that bet alone, I believe I only had four bets. I did go just one of four and that still put me at 0.79 units of profit so i cannot complain it was an event i was more so looking to just watch than rather bet on but yeah no it was awesome jordy's back i'm really excited to watch him compete that's usually when i like to bet jordan speed the most is in a very intense clutch situation the president's cup certainly was very competitive a lot more competitive than i thought so good for the internationals with a depleted roster to really put up a fight and, and make it relatively close on sunday but jordan speed got to the window so love that yeah, he was not only the leading captain's pick and points getter for the U.S., but also the leading player in the whole competition as he went 5-0. and We weren't sure if he'd play in all five matches, but he did. So big win. Hopefully some people out there tailed us. Looking forward to this week, the Sanderson Farms Championship at the Country Club of Jackson. It's a course that we're familiar with. It's been a part of the fall swing. Spencer, you had a little bit of change of heart about some of the factors that you were going to incorporate in your model from the preview we did last week to this week. Yeah, so one of the things I mentioned on the show is that driving distance was something that I was going to incorporate. And, you know, it's one of those things where the previous two years here have resulted in minor losses of around a unit for me and my recommendations. And while we can chalk it up to it, maybe being too small of a sample size or a luck-filled putting contest, if you want to call it that, I didn't love how some of those cards were built from a structural perspective. So this go around, I tried to highlight where I thought I was overvaluing specific metrics. The one category that kept popping up for me was driving distance. And in fairness, you are going to get empty data when nearly 45% of the scoring dispersion takes place with a putter in hand. But I tried to de-emphasize any particular metric and instead underline where I could see the most basic level of the statistical data coming into play. So the best way I would explain that would be if distance wasn't showing as a critical category past my most, I guess, run down basic interpretation of how the course set up for the field, I was likely overemphasizing a stat that didn't need as much weight as I was giving it. You know, I don't want to go too overboard in how I ran my model, but I kept with that short par four plus par five birdie or better percentage. That's something that we talked about on the last show, but 27% of the daily opportunities will make up 60% of the winning score. Those are going to be very critical holes. So that's four par fives. That's the short par four. I believe it's the 15th. I think it's the 15th. That's under 350 yards there. I did a weighted strokes gain total. And by the way, when I say the words weighted, it just means I recalculated the data to mimic the track. 
but I placed a heavy emphasis on Bermuda putting and essentially just ran a baseline projection when it comes to the dispersion of scoring here over the past few years. I looked at easy scoring courses, Donald Ross designs, and documented results on fast Bermuda for a small percentage each. And then I closed it out with weighted par three plus weighted par four scoring. I dove into some of the more challenging holes by attaching a bogey avoidance number there, plus took the more accessible chances and tried to account for the main, remaining 40% of holes. The most simplistic way to try to run that down is we're going to need par five scoring. We're going to need players that are going to be able to attack that par four. And at the end of the day, like we can say that maybe my model was just wrong on it. Maybe it is a small sample size. Bermuda putting is super important here. Like I haven't seen too many times where we're talking about 45% of the scoring dispersion taking place with the flat stick in hand. And when that's the case, I'm not a person that's looking for putting in my model. So when that does happen, we need to find ways to get unique with it. And, you know, for me, it's one of those things like, let's find what we can actually put down into a model. That would be Donald Ross. That would be easy scoring. It's going to be the par five. And then let's add in the putting. When I did the weighted total score that I did, like the strokes gain total in that category, that's 40% Bermuda. It's essentially 30% weighted proximity at this course. Historically, it's 12% off the tee. So that's going to be total driving. That is going to be some of the distance. So that's like a 70-30 split of distance over accuracy to make up that total. And then it is 18% around the green just because Donald Ross courses have undulation to them. But like, it's one of those routes that I'm taking where I'm trying to find as many things that we know to be true and then build out from there. I like it. It's important to understand sometimes when you've been off, learn from your mistakes, maybe see where there might have been a correlation that you overemphasized. So I like it. Good thing to think about for our listeners and for us when we're making our decisions week, week in and week out. Guys, any other thoughts heading into the tournament, more general thoughts or thoughts about the course before we get into our picks? I texted Nick this a little bit earlier, is that when we look at this tournament, I would equate this to being preseason type football. There's a lot of players and we can talk about the Corn Fairy guys making their first start or even their second start. The data just doesn't add up the way that we want it to at this point. So mm. I would be cautious, especially if you're running a model. There are so many players that I had to get rid and regress some of their statistics for. A guy like Dean Burmeester, he's a player who's still graded really well for me that I'll talk about a lot this week. But, you know, I had to pretty much get rid of about 25, 30% of the weights that I was putting on him. And he still graded well. And I'm going to go with some of those numbers. But just be aware of that of any of the players. Like, that's going to be the classic trap spot that people are going to fall into, I think. I love it. It's a great tease for future conversation on Burmeester. And I think I'm going to come at it from a different angle. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Guys, first bets. Any bet that you're most excited about, what are we thinking? I'll start us off. A bet I seem to make every single week, and anybody listening knows that this is probably going to be a trap, but Russell Henley sucked me back in. My model's got him priced at <laughs> proper at 16 to 1. Like Spencer said, I didn't weight driving distance that heavily, so obviously Russell Henley is one of the shorter hitters in the field, but his expected proximity is within 100 yards, and then even the longer irons grayed out fantastic for me. He's not a good putter, but when he is, it is on Bermuda, fast green, so... Also a lot of success on Ross courses. So I love Russell Henley at 25 to one that you can get that at a couple different books in the market. I was betting Russell Henley at relative similar prices when the PGA was loaded with a lot of guys before they went to the live. Now I'm getting similar pricing. His form's fine. Everything like that. He's one of the best iron players on tour and those proximities again, that I'm waiting very heavily. He grades out number one, almost exclusively. So 
to get the same price with a lot of guys moving to the live tour, a lot of the higher competition that run him down every Sunday when he's got a lead, those guys are for the most part gone. So I think I'm getting a little bit of value here. My model seems to agree with Russell Henley at 25 to one. We'll see how he lets me down on Sunday, but this could be the week for Russ. I want to just point this out really quickly. So I didn't get a Russell Henley outright ticket and he is the number one player for me for upside. That's usually what I'm looking for on these DFS. If you're talking GPPs or you're talking outright bets in general, you're looking for that upside on a lot of these things. And Henley's a player for me, like just to run through some of these stats, he's sixth in strokes gain total on easy scoring courses. He's third in my weighted strokes gain total that I recalculated. He's fifth on Donald Ross. He's second on strokes gain total fast Bermuda. Nick talked about all his proximity numbers that he has. If he can make some putts, if he can close out a tournament on Sunday, I don't see a reason why the bet doesn't make sense. It's just, we know that Henley has some problems. And I guess the one thing he has going for him is that he's done it before. And I don't know what has happened to him recently for why he's not closing out tournaments, but I decided to go in another direction at the top of the board. Very close call. He was in consideration for me. I like Russell Henley. I'm not playing him this week. I just didn't want to play anybody at that short of a number yet. But we'll get into my picks in a little bit. Spencer, what's your bet you're most excited about this week? I guess the play for me that I was most intrigued by, and unfortunately it has moved a couple points at most shops. So we're looking at about minus 125 now, and it's a head-to-head wager. It was minus 110, and we saw a movement. But one of the players I'm looking to take on this week is Aaron Rye. He's 90th in my model, 95th from a safety perspective. The weighted proximity is 15 spots below expectation when running the data to mimic the venue. The total driving is nearly 20 places lower. My model believes Rye is the 30th best player in expected strokes gain on a random track, but he slips to 103rd for the country club of Jackson. I will note that I did grab him to finish 54th or worse on bet 365 at minus 120. But if there's an individual matchup in the space that I am looking to find, it would be Dean Burmeister against him. And as I said, that's moved to minus 125 at this point, but I just love everything about Burmeister's profile with the way I run it. It's one of those spots where I think Bermuda is going to help the putting. He's a great ball striker in general. And I mean, just to throw out a couple other names that are fade candidates for me, and I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on them. So The number one most overvalued player for me in my model, Aaron Rye. The number two most overvalued player for me, Chez Reavy. I do want to note that that, there is a Patrick Rogers matchup against him that moved from minus 110 to minus 200. So that's off the books, unfortunately. But maybe you can find a Reavy matchup somewhere. And then I'm sure this is going to pain Nick when I tell him this right now, because this seems to be his boy a lot of times also. Henrik Norlander, he was the third biggest fade candidate for me. So those are three guys I'm looking to take on. I think that you're going to be more inclined and more likely to find something with Aaron Rye if you look around at books that are offering head-to-head matchups. But Burmese is a player that I really like taking on against Aaron Rye in that. Yeah, for Reavy, I don't love him this week. Just the distance. I know you took it out of your model, but it's incorporated in other ways. He's way below average in driving distance. He's been strong on approach. And unfortunately, in the tournament that he won the Barracuda, we didn't have stats, at least on data golf for that. So that kind of the uncertainty there with how he won exactly throws me for a little bit of a loop. But overall, around the green, he's not great. And he's not a great putter, or at least he hasn't gained strokes putting in his last six tournaments. And he lost half stroke putting on at the Fortinet, lost uh, strokes on approach as well. Not a guy that I'd go with with the upside. And I think the floor isn't super high either. 
I think Revy's going to probably miss the cut. And when I ran my weighted Bermuda, that looked at Bermuda putting. And then it also looked at fast Bermuda. And then it incorporated both of those two stats together. Revy, even with this field, and I mean, we're talking about some like really bad putters in this. Revy was the third worst putter that I had in my model. The only two that were worse would be Luke List and Joseph Bramlett, which I, I guess with those two, at least you get the distance that comes into play. And I mean, as I said, I removed a lot of the distance, but I think Revy's going to have problems. And it's like Revy, Rye, Norlander. These are three guys. And as I stated on uh, a lot of the shows that we've done already, I'm trying to find miscut equity. And those three guys possess the highest miscut equity that I can find in my model. So that makes me more inclined to be willing to lay some juice in these matchups if I think I can get the bet done by Friday afternoon. And Spencer, it looks like last year, here at the Sanderson Farms, Revy gained over two strokes on approach in two rounds and still missed the cut because he lost over a stroke and a half on the greens and then lost over a stroke around the greens. So I like that play. With my first play, I'm going to look at some of the Corn Fairy guys. I like Carl Yuan. I talked about him in the look ahead last week. I said 80 to one or better. He's out there at 101 right now. And we don't have as much data about him. So he's one of those guys on the opposite end of the spectrum where you might want to bump him up or you just don't really have a great read on him from your model because we don't have data because he was on the corn Ferry tour at the Fortinet. He gained over a half stroke off the tee and he gained almost a full stroke on approach. And he even gained strokes around the green, but he lost 2.8 strokes with the flat stick and missed the cut. As a result, he's a guy who had a lot of success on the corn Ferry tour. He had 22 starts and he had seven top five finishes. So he's a guy who has that upside and he also had a win at the Louisiana open. And he's long. So seventh in driving distance, seventh in birdie average. And we need guys who can make birdies and have that upside, as we said. First on the regular season points list. They don't have strokes gained approach on the Corn Ferry Tour quantified, but he was eighth in greens and regulation. I like him in a lot of different markets just because I think he's generally undervalued. As we said, is plus 10,000, 100 to one to win the tournament. If you want to play it a little bit more conservatively, he's plus 400 for a top 20. And even though I think some of their metrics might have him a little bit undervalued because they just don't have a strong sample size for him, he's got a 24.7% chance of finishing the top 20. And he's priced at plus 400, which would imply just a 20% chance. So you got a 4.7% edge in theory right there. I think it could be even higher. So I'm going to play him at a top 20. That's my best bet. And I like him in outrights. And I think next week potentially could also be a strong course for him in Vegas. But before we talk about that, guys, what other picks are we excited about this week? Not that I'm always looking at some of, you know, these other markets out there, but there's five players that are receiving a lot of sharp money on them. Carl Yuan's one, Patrick Rogers, Wyndham Clark, Luke List, Seamus Power. I also am going to have Carl Yuan as part of my card this week. So I took him at plus 300 to come top 40. And, you know, my model doesn't necessarily agree, but it doesn't agree for all the reasons that Roberto just mentioned. So I, I don't have enough data to trust it. And it's pulling from the miscut at the Fortinet right now with him. And we know that like anytime you miss a cut, the stats are obviously going to be worse just naturally with it. And when you look around in different sectors of the space in general, if we're talking about a top 40, he ranges from plus 125 all the way to plus 300. So I'm willing to just blindly number grab in this spot and trust some of the sharper corn fairy experts out there. And I, and I think you're on to something there, Roberto. It's just too good of a number with everything that's being told to us from people that have better data on the corn fairy tour than I do. And that's not necessarily a route that I usually take, but 
I'm just kind of going to close my eyes on this one, trust the data of what other people are telling me. And I think that there's a lot of ways to play him in this market. I've seen him as low as like 55 to one to win this tournament. So that means something to me. And to add on to that, I do not have a lot of data on him. It's more like expected based on what he did at the Fortinet for the most part. He ranks 13th in my model overall for upside. So I love the ticket. I'm going to ride it. I think I'm going to put him in my DFS lineups too. So Roberto, I'm in. Before we get further into our picks, I wanted to have like a little high-level discussion. So we know that last week was the President's Cup, and there aren't very many players from the President's Cup competition in this field. And the only player on the U.S. side is the defending champion, Sam Burns, who is listed at around 10 to 1 on most books. And on most books, nobody else is shorter than 20 to 1. So the market's telling us that he is the best player in this field by a decent amount, and he won last year. Coming off of the previous 72-hole tournament and the only one so far this year where Max Homa defended in a field that maybe wasn't as strong and also didn't have a lot of other elite players playing, although this field is even worse, and you could argue that Sam Burns is a better player than Max Homa. So on a scale of Max Homa right now to peak Tiger Woods, who, as a player comparison, how high do you have to have a player rated to be able to play someone in a field like this at 10 to 1? The way I run my model, I mean, they have to be massively ahead of the field with the way I run my numbers. So I I am simulating it out in in the way that I do it with it. I don't have 10 to one being proper on him. I will say that, I mean, I don't think it comes as a shock to anybody listening that Sam Burns is the number one player in my model. He does possess the best win equity and I like him. Like, you know, I mean, like you run into these situations and maybe that's one of the reasons why I am going to be a little bit more cautious with my outright card in general. I think anybody that's like writing him off because he's coming from the president's cup or they're thinking he can't repeat. I think you may be making a mistake in that regard. Now that doesn't mean I can get a ticket on him at 10 to one. Maybe you play him on DFS. I know he's going to be popular there, but maybe you can get your exposure in some other way with trying to back him. But I mean, I can tell you right now, the way that I ran the numbers, the number two player for me from a win equity perspective was JT Poston. And Poston was a little bit less than double of what the price should be. So, I mean, if we're looking at like what a proper number was, I had Burns at about 12 to one. I had Poston at about 23 to one as being proper there, which JT Poston is the first outright bet that I ended up making for that reason. But I mean, it just, from a value perspective, I couldn't get there at the 10 to one number because there wasn't a big enough edge that my model saw with it. Yeah, I I would second that. I have him proper at 14 and a half to one. So let's say 14 to one for sake, but he did repeat at the Valspar. So that, that part doesn't scare me at all. It's just the price is probably too short. If anything, if I'm trying to get any exposure to Sam Burns, I'd probably be, if he can get out of the gate a little slow and get a live number closer to closer to that 15, 16 to one. So I get a little bit of an edge there. That's probably about it for me. So you may be able, and I I think it's going to probably be a situation where maybe you get 11 or 12 to one, just because he's the favorite in this field. But it's something to keep in mind if you are trying to place outrights and you're kind of on the fence with it. Some of these guys you can wait on for a second and you might be able to get a point or two more. And, you know, sometimes that's the whole difference of placing an outright or not. And Spencer, I love that idea, especially on a course like this, where you have pinpointed that the scoring comes on those five holes, the four par fives and the one short par four. If he stumbles somewhere else and he still has a lot of those holes to go, he'll be teeing off on the first tee. So maybe you take advantage of a bogey right before some of those scoring holes, you get him at that better number live. And then you sit on that ticket and you know, he's not going to ruin everything else that you have going for you. Yeah. I think that's probably the way to play Burns because like, I mean, 
I'm sure all of our models have a number one or very close to it. It just comes down to one of those situations of where do we actually jump in if we try to get exposure and it depends on how big our cards are to begin with, because if we have too much exposure built in from the start, you don't really want to start placing wagers in an in-tournament perspective. And then you run up these outright bets because they are going to be the most volatile wagers for us to hit. So I always try to diminish the exposure that I have in that market. And I can tell you right now that I am a little bit more exposed than I generally am. So I have 0.88 units. And a lot of that reason comes down to, I did start with JT Poston at 27 to one. And then I also took Davis Riley at 45 to one. I mean, that eats up a lot of the, the units that I'm laying out in that regard anyway with it. So uh, it doesn't mean that I don't have room. I mean, he'd probably have to get to over 20 to one for me to start considering. And just to throw it out there, I typically bet guys to win around seven and a half units or higher. The higher situation comes down to when I have these really big discrepancies on them. So like, I'll give one example, Corey Connors at the Valero uh, I guess that would be 2018, I believe, 2018, 2019, when he won that tournament. He was 250 to one. My model thought he should have been a 40 to one golfer in that field. I bet him as if he was a 40 to one golfer to win eight units. So I had a massive ticket that came into play on that. That's one of the ways that I get more exposure to these outrights. But, you know, it's going to be difficult in these spots with like a Sam Burns because the number's just never going to get high enough where it's going to make sense for us to do something like that. So just something to keep in mind though, in general, when you're making these outright bets. Spencer, you touched on that. You have Davis rally on your outright card. I actually have him as my only guy under hundred to one on my outright card. Can we talk about why you like Davis Riley to win this week? Sure. So I think his ball striking seems to be a perfect fit for the country club of Jackson, as he's one of only two players who ranked inside the top 40 of every metric I looked into for the track. I think if the putter can get hot for a few days, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets himself over the hump during a fall event. And, you know, we talk on this show about golfers that we want to look in future events. I would keep him on my short list throughout this entire fall swing. He's a player that I'm probably going to have a lot of exposure to over the next two months. And it just comes down to the ball striking with no matter how you want to run it. So the off the tee numbers look really good in my model. The weighted strokes gain total here is inside the top seven for him. That's something that's going to mean a lot for me. And then overall birdie or better percentage, he's sixth for me. And we know that you're going to have to make birdies here. So get hot on the short par four, get hot on these par fives. We know the iron play is going to probably be good. The off the tee game's good. I'm going to take a chance on him. And it's another thing that I think I said last week or maybe two weeks ago, we want to make sure on these outright bets that we take an aggressive approach with the players that we're backing. So we want to grab guys that have a higher ceiling and maybe a lower floor. Like if Riley misses the cut, a miscut is going to be the same as a second place finish there. So we want to try to shoot for players that have a chance to win a tournament. And Riley's one of those players for me where his upside from a win equity standpoint does take a big jump in. I mean, you could make the same argument about Russell Henley, which is why I think Nick's play does make sense there, but there's only so many players that you can take sub 50 to one. And I decided to go for JT Poston and Davis Riley, but I mean, there's a couple other guys, Henley, if you want to include him into the mix of, of somebody that does have upside at this tournament. Yeah, Spencer, I think you put it really well. You touched on pretty much everything I was going to touch on. You talked about that elite approach game where last year he gained over one and a half strokes in four straight tournaments where he has that tendency to run hot. And so I like that for that big upside. You mentioned the birdie or better percentage. And then he's someone that I'm going to be playing quite a bit this fall as well, unless the number takes a big dive, but hopefully we'll cash in on that if it does. Yeah. 
he's a guy who got down to 30 to one or lower a lot last year toward the end of the season. And after that little run of success. And so you get him at 35, 45 to one out there right now. I think it's incredible value, especially in this field. So in a similar way of thinking like uh, Nick had with Russell Henley and the guy who we believe in and the value of the field isn't great. I like the play. Yeah. Nick. Real quick to add on that. What are your guys thoughts? Minus 126 is the best number I could see in the field in a matchup against Joseph Bramlett for Davis Riley. Cause I love Riley too. It just seems like when I know when Spencer took the bet, we were texting that number kind of disappeared pretty quickly. So I don't want to chase a bad number, but I do love Davis Riley in every aspect. So I was trying to find a matchup where I could ride him, but Joseph Bramlett, I know he looked great at the Fortinet, but his iron play and putting, I, I just it doesn't scare me. I feel like that's kind of a misprice. I have him like minus one fifty in that matchup there. I do know sharp markets love Joseph Bramlett. I'm not under the same assumption as a lot of those betters. So he's seventy fourth for me overall. He's sixty ninth from an upside perspective. Seventy seventh for safety. I mean, really the one big takeaway from him or the two big takeaways that you're going to like is the ball striking will look good if you gear this towards a total driving distance sort of a standpoint with it. And the long iron proximity, he's seventh for me from over 200 yards. I mean, if that means that he can score on the par fives, maybe a little bit better, which my model does seem to think he's 11th there. I'm trying to figure out why my model dislikes him so much because I mean, those are pretty good totals there. I guess it just comes down to the Bermuda putting with him being dead last in the field that's going to hurt but I don't know I think that Bramlett from a head-to-head perspective is probably somebody that might be worth taking on because he is volatile I think Bramlett if you're considering him as like an outright bet maybe makes more sense in that regard just because he does have those high-end metrics that you're looking for but I agree like my model has that closer to like a minus minus 155 minus 160 total as it is too so I mean from a value perspective there is an edge there I just think Bramlett possesses some of the high-end metrics that you are looking for for this course nice appreciate it guys any other outrights that we have for this week yeah, I'll, I'll run through all of mine really quickly. So I mentioned Poston at 27 to one, Davis Riley. I took Dean Burmeester at 65 to one. So I've talked about him a lot this week, but he's one of the higher ranked golfers in the world playing this event. And it likely was a snub that he encountered from the international team last weekend at the President's Cup. Don't be surprised if he takes out his anger with his driver at the Country Club of Jackson. I know that I keep saying distance isn't a prerequisite, but it does go nicely with his putting increase on Bermuda. I took Seamus Power at 65 to 1. Power has a really strange profile to consider, but let's focus more on the long-term form than the recent bump in the road since the Open Championship. His metrics for these specific holes at the track rank him first in par 4 scoring, sixth in par 5 birdie or better, and 100th in par 3 average. The one thing I want to note about being 100th in par 3 average, when I do add in some of the bogey avoidance numbers for him, that propels him up. And that's one of the reasons why he's top 10 in this field when looking at all 18 holes. I took Mark Hubbard at 110 to 1. I do like this nuanced approach I have taken in attacking the card from a more open-ended strategy of an array of skill sets. Hubbard ranks third in strokes gained total on easy courses, fourth in weighted proximity and inside the top 25 on these five accessible holes. And then the two long shots this week, Rory Sabatini, 150 to one. Even at 150 to one, I would need more than a Donald Ross narrative to back Sabatini in the outright market. But I can find enough interesting results in his profile where I think this warrants a bet. He ranks eighth in putting from five to 10 feet and top 10 around the green. 
which probably in fairness doubles down the viewpoint of Ross design suiting his game more than anything else. But 150 to one seems like a really respectable tag there. And then I took Vincent Whaley at 250 to one. Whaley and Sabatini are guys that I also am going to have top 40 bets on. So you can find Whaley at plus 360. You can find Sabatini at plus 270. Burmeister, who I mentioned, you can find him at 130. Those are That's another player I'm betting. But Whaley ranks 20th in my model for upside. And it's that unique situation that my model's presenting where the safety grade only pushes into just outside the top 40. So I think that you have some of the upside you're looking for on an outright ticket, especially at 250 to one odds. I think you have some of that built-in safety at a plus 360 number, which is just kind of an ideal situation when with the way I ran my numbers. So that's one of my favorite bets from at least a placement wager this week. I'd love to get your guys' take on the only other outright I have outside of Russell Henley. I think this is something I'm kind of going to wait and play live other than the second ticket here is Seamus Power at 50 to 1. So I know Seamus kind of been in bad form, hasn't played in a while, but the iron play was absolutely horrible here last year, but he was dynamite on the greens. Obviously fantastic Bermuda putter, but after this tournament, I believe he went on to finish in the top 25 in eight of his last nine events. That's really when Seamus Power started to come on the scene. Spencer and I have been talking about this guy for a couple of years, and then he just tears it up in the fall swing last year. So I my mom's got him at 38 to one. It really likes everything about him. So to get 50 in the market, I found a ton of value on Seamus Power. And the thing I do like about Seamus Power is he also has win equity. He's done it before. So I feel like it's a nice buy low. Hopefully he can just get his form one week earlier than he did this time last year. So Seamus Power at 50 to one. I think Seamus is one of those boomer bust options that we're talking about in the outright market that we want to be trying to attack and find a way to play him. So number one in strokes gain total on easy scoring courses. He's number one, as I said, in all these weighted par four numbers that I ran. Uh, all the bogey avoidance stats look good. The birdie or better percentage has him inside the top 11 for me. I think this is an ideal spot for him. And I'm right there with you, Nick. Like I have him in the 30 to one range of what I had being a proper price. And that doesn't mean he's going to make the cut necessarily, but more of what that suggests is, is if he does make the cut, my model believes that the upside that he presents makes him have more of a chance to make a run to win the tournament. So I'm kind of willing to take this to where if he bombs out on you know Thursday or Friday and he misses the cut well it's just a wager that we didn't get four days out of and it wouldn't have mattered because he didn't win the tournament but if we get those high-end numbers that actually come into play that's what we want out of this we want players that on Saturday evening uh Sunday morning actually have a chance to win this tournament and Seamus for me was the number five player when it came to win equity in this tournament so I think it's a mispricing I do think there's volatility but I really like that play Nick Let's go. Roberto, you in on the power. I like the power. I might join you guys. I like the win right. equity. <laughs> I like that he has the strong history and courses coming up on the schedule. So maybe we're finding a number right now that we won't find going forward. So I like the opportunity to pounce on that. I like it. With my card this week, I only had the one guy at less than 50 to one with Davis Rally at 45 to one. But I did take a couple other long shots. I'm trying to play some of these younger players who maybe the books haven't caught up to yet. One of those guys is Austin Eckroat. I got him at 150 to one. He had a great college career, NCAA champion at Oklahoma State. And he's got a high floor. So this might be a guy to look at in matchups. On the Corn Ferry Tour, he finished in the top 25 in 10 of 16 starts. And then he had three top 12s in his last seven Corn Ferry Tour starts, including a second place finish at the Corn Ferry Tour Championship. Two weeks ago at the Fortinet, he gained 
0.7 strokes off the tee. And he's one of the longer guys on the Corn Ferry Tour. So I think this is a, another shot with upside at 150 to one. Maybe we won't see him at this number going forward if he has a big week. So I'm willing to sprinkle him and see if there's anything out there. And then I'll do one other long shot that I have, Hayden Buckley. He's a guy who doesn't quite hit it as far as some of the other dudes, but he's 13th in strokes gained off the tee last year because he's an incredibly accurate driver of the golf ball off the tee. He's also someone I'm going to be looking forward to next week. I'll talk about that later. Two weeks ago at Fortinet, he gained 1.39 strokes off the tee, which led the field and he lost strokes everywhere else. So it was pretty ugly. So maybe we're getting a buy low spot with him at 130 to one. He's also got some Southern ties. He's from Chattanooga, Tennessee, played golf at the University of Missouri. So he should be familiar with, with the area. And then last year, he had a tie for fourth year. So he's got some experience on the course, some good course history. He doesn't have a great birdie percentage or par five scoring percentage, but he's playing with a hot driver right now. Last year, he had a really dark period of time where between mid-March and mid-June, he missed seven of nine cuts. And then after that, outside of a, a withdrawal, he made all seven of his last cuts, and then he missed a cut at the Fortinet. So hopefully that was him just shaking off the rust. He comes back in a little bit more focused this week. He's got some good course history, got a little bit more confidence. And 130 to 1, I think there's a little bit of value there. You can also get him at plus 450 for a top 20, as he might not be a guy with that top upside without that birdie or better percentage. But maybe he's got a higher floor right now, as he's been driving the ball really well, really accurate off the tee, as we said. But I also like him a little bit better next week. So I'll keep an eye on him this week with an eye toward next week as well. So if we compare him directly to Davis Thompson, I know there's a lot of markets out there that have those two at about a minus 110 both ways looking at it. And I mean, I've seen Davis Thompson as low as like 70 to one to win this tournament. So if we're assuming that that is correct, that these two guys are kind of on the same playing field and my model likes both of them. I think double the price on Buckley is a really intriguing route to go with it. Like you kind of mentioned all the reasons of off the tee, why some of those numbers make sense. So he's fourth for me off the tee with the way that I ran my data. He's fifth in GIR percentage. He's 18th in ball striking. These tournaments early in the year, sometimes you get some of these players and we've seen a little bit more of Buckley than we have some of these other players, but sometimes you get these golfers like a Davis Riley last year at some point, like a Cameron Young where these guys just proved to be better golfers than the price tags that were being released on them early in the season. And I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if six months from now, we're looking at Hayden Buckley more as a 50 to one golfer in these fields. So there might be some value there, especially if you want to try to find, as Roberto said, maybe a top 20, a top 30, a top 40 bet, you might be able to find some value that way. All right, guys, any other final outright picks before we finish off our matchups and place bets? I don't think for me, I mean, that's, that was my card. I had anything for you, Nick. Yeah. Just one other thing. I did take Steven Yeager again to finish in the top 40 at plus plus one thirty. So he did finish tied 26 here last year. I believe that was with Nick Hardy, another guy that I was looking at, but just can't really do it right now with the form, but Yeager really struggled with his irons last week. So my model thinks it's a good time for to kind of buy low on him again at a plus number. He did still finish 43rd. So with bad iron play, historically a good iron player. So I like Steven Yeager there. And I do like the course history of a tied 26 here last year. Yeah, I have a 47 spot improvement on Yeager when it comes to weighted proximity to mimic this venue versus any course on tour. So you can expect him to be 47 spots better is essentially the way that that reads. Nice. It feels like we've got a lot of positive momentum behind each other's picks. So I like that this week. And obviously last week we had that with the Jordan Spieth bet. So let's keep it rolling, guys. Place bets. Any other ones that you guys want to highlight? I think I mentioned 
the Alex Smalley play at plus 145 that I have. And just, just to give some reasoning behind it. So the par five scoring has been questionable because of his inconsistent around the green game, but the long irons rank second in this field. And the reason why I like this play as much as I do is because we see him improve by 45 places when comparing his Bermuda putting splits versus all grass types. I think if he can get a jump there, it should just naturally increase his par five scoring potential. So my card in the top 40 section, just to run through all of them, Burmeester at plus 130, Smalley at plus 145, Sabatini at plus 270, Whaley plus 360, and then Carl Yuan at plus 300, which Roberto alluded to earlier. And guys, before we get into any other place bets, I want to give a friendly reminder that the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free. So with a potential 200 free chicken nuggets, who else are we looking at for place bets, Nick? That is it. Very short card for me, like we talked about earlier, just limited data. So I'm kind of letting the false wing progress a little bit before I start to open up the bankroll a little bit. All right. I've got one last one. I like Callum Taron this week at top 20 plus 450. He's finished in the top 27 in five of his last eight starts. 78th in strokes gained off the tee last year, but 15th in driving distance. Not awesome in birdie or better percentage. He's above average in 71st on the tour. 59th in strokes gained approach, but he's trending up as he had strokes gained on the field in six of his last eight tournaments. I think he's a guy who may not have that win equity, but a guy who I think might have a little higher floor. This week and in a weaker field, I think plus 450 is pretty juicy. I'm always in for Kellen Taren, so you don't have to convince me. I'm in. I'm riding it. Let's go. Yeah, good distance, right. good long iron proximity. If you get rid of the two missed cuts that he's had recently, 27th at the Wyndham, 20th at the Rocket Mortgage, 7th at the 3M, 22nd the week before that. So there was a lot of good form he had before that little hiccup. All right. So that's my whole card. Guys, any final bets that we haven't talked about yet? No, not for me. Next week is the Shriners Children's Open. A little quick overview. It is in Spencer's backyard there in Las Vegas. It's at TPC Summerlin. It's par 71 measuring just under 7,300 yards, and it features bentgrass green. So three different greens in three consecutive 72-hole tournaments on the PGA Tour. Spencer, any initial thoughts on TPC Summerlin? So it's one of the only courses in the world of, we're talking about a PGA Tour venue that I've played before. So I know a little bit of something about this course. So as you said, it's it's just under 7,300 yards, par 71, bent grass greens. You know, the course itself meanders through arroyos and canyons. It features that lush bent grass and then friendly Bermuda rough. That's something to keep in mind. The course itself is about 15 minutes away from my home. And the property is probably, in my opinion, one of the most visually aesthetic in the city. But for what it brings in looks, you do lose some of the difficulty along the way. They added 102 bunkers or redid 102 bunkers, I should say, in 2018 to try and add a little bit more challenge. But it hasn't appeared to do much with the average winning score coming in at 22 under during that time frame. In my opinion, the only real defense of the course itself would be wind. We will see if that becomes an issue as we get closer to next Thursday. But I don't think people realize how breezy it can get in Vegas. And I'm saying that to somebody, Nick, who's in like the Chicago area. So... He knows about wind himself, but 
I think overall golfers that can demonstrate ball striking ability and strategy off the tee should probably be able to exploit TPC Summerlin in an ideal situation. But it's not as if we're anticipating anything that's going to be too grueling for the field. Maybe a little bit of weighted tee to green if you want to look at that. As I said, the strokes gain total on bent grass greens will come into play. Strokes gain total on easy courses. I did notice one of the things that's worth mentioning is there's some short par fours and those par fives that are going to be crucial, not as much as we see this week, but that also comes into play. You know, the three par fives and the two short par fours, as I said, are the most accessible there, but most of those come during the final six hole stretch. There is a challenging par three 17th. That will be the only real test for the players coming in, but keep that in mind. If you're alive betting on Sunday, a lot can change very quickly on that final closing stretch. Charlie Hoffman week, right? Spencer. Every guy that has Vegas connections <laughs> week. I've never played golf in Vegas when it wasn't like 20 mile an hour wind. So it's, I will bank that it's going to be windy. It just always is out there. It always picks up and in the afternoon, it'll pick up more. So, so I do think at least attaching strokes gained total in the wind is something that you should do now, Nick, you and I have talked about it before of how much you should actually put into the weight on that, but I don't know. I mean, in my opinion, somewhere around 10% seems like a pretty steady number for Vegas. I like that. Guys, any names you're initially looking at for next week at TPC Summerlin? I'll give you a couple. So Aaron Wise's home course is TPC Summerlin. I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to take out some of his anger on this venue for missing the President's Cup. Taylor Montgomery is from Vegas and went to college at UNLV. I'm curious to see how he does this week, but I think TPC Summerlin might set up better for him. I do like him this tournament also. I don't want to make it sound like it does. I don't, but I think that could be a good venue for him. Sahit the Gala, I think that that's a good setup for him. And then two players that I would keep an eye on, don't know if either is going to necessarily play, but Siwoo Kim has found success out here before. And then same with Luke List, if he shows any life whatsoever at the Sanderson Farms. Like, I prefer him to not top five the tournament to ruin the number. But if you notice anything with him, he's had a lot of good success at this course in the past. So I think the venue sets up well for him. Spencer, I like those initial thoughts. I'm also going to be, as I said, looking at Hayden Buckley again, finished eighth there last year. I like the driving accuracy on a course where I think driving accuracy plays a bigger role than it does this week. Par fours in between 400, 450 yards are I think six of 11 in that range. I'm going to keep looking at the rookies, Carl Yuan and Austin Eckrote, if they keep getting those big 100 to 1-ish odds, I'll be playing them next week. And then I'm excited because next week, if it's like last year, it's going to have a stronger field than this week. So hopefully we get a little bit more value in the mid-tier and we can get some better value in that area of odds. Wanted to ask Nick if you had any other players you're looking at for next week. No, not at the moment. I mean, I'll certainly give Charlie Hoffman a look if he's in the field just because I always love betting on that guy in windy conditions. But the form... Uh, was it the rocket mortgage classic he comes out of nowhere and top tens it but other than that I'm, I'm kind of a week by week basis here so i would look at tpc courses i think like that's a prototype that really rolls over well like we see a lot of the sure same does. guys yep. produced there nick i know what answer you're going to give me right now <laughs> but do you know who is a pretty good tpc player not me Jason Day. i shoot Jason Day. I'm always Jason Day. I well, like see, Jason Day. He's good in the win too. Well, it's a 50-50 choice with it. I mean, and Jason Day is, is, is good. And I think he's good at TPC also, but one of the players that I've always noticed that's popped up, Webb Simpson. And we can end the show. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you're looking at Webb Simpson, Spencer. Nick is looking for the seagull to spread his wings in the desert. <laughs> Another player who I'm looking at, and we talked, we mentioned Jason Day, guy who's looking to regain form from after injury. I wanted to ask, Harris English is in the field this week in Jackson, and he's a guy who won multiple times on tour in the 2021 season. Last year, didn't play very well. He was injured, not 100%. Tied for ninth at the Fortinet, but he didn't hit the ball great on approach. So I'm not playing him this week, but he's someone I'm keeping an eye on. What needs to happen for you guys to back Harris English in the fall? Iron play. Need the iron play back. Yeah, I would agree with that sentiment. And my model likes Harris English this week. Now, I will say I'm running it from a longer term perspective. I know some of the sharper markets out there absolutely despise him. Like he's an underdog in every single matchup that I found. And that's one of the reasons why like, that eventually pushed me off of him. But you know, we'll see. I think if the iron play turns around and like, that's what I have from my model that somewhat still likes him. So it's that 150 to 175 range where he does most of his success on. But I mean, like when I'm looking at weighted proximity for this week, 117th in my model, like that was just too tough for me to overcome when I do think that a lot of that's going to matter. Awesome. Guys, any final thoughts you want to share with the viewers and listeners before we head out? And if you want a prediction for next week, if we're talking about players, I mean, there's probably, I mean, if we're trying to attach odds to it, there's probably, I don't know, plus 800 chance that Jason Day files a restraining order against me at some point during the week. So I mean, if you can find a market, that'll take that. But I'm excited for this tournament. It's like, I think we're going to start getting information and stats that come more back into play and give it a couple of weeks. As Nick said, we're not necessarily at that right now we're going to need some of these players to get a little bit more information to them. So I would be cautious with my approach, but trust some of the data that you do have and just try to make calculated decisions with that information. Awesome. Nick, any final thoughts? I'm really excited to watch all the guys on the corn fair that you brought up because that's, uh, I think that's a great addition to the show here. Spencer and I usually do not dig very deep on the corn fairy guys. So uh, I appreciate your insight there. I'm looking forward to Carl. You probably put him in my DFS lineups as well this week. Awesome. I don't have built-out models like you guys, so trying to find an edge any way I can. That'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Links and Locks. For more great golf content from our Action Network and Golf Bet team, check out our Best Bets episode from earlier this week, featuring Golf Bet's Jason Sobel and the PGA Tour's Ben Everill as they quickly run down their top plays for this week's tournament. Be sure to check out actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app for all of our great golf betting and DFS content. Find us on Twitter. You can find Nick at Sticks Picks and then Spencer at Tiaf Sports. You can find me at Roberto A213 on Twitter. And then you can also follow us on the award-winning Action Network app where you can track every bet you make across your favorite sports. So for Spencer Aguiar and Nick Brettwish, I'm your host, Roberto Arguello. The very best of luck betting this week, and we'll see you next time right here on Links and Locks. <laughs>